We're going to read in God's Word today. We're turning once more to Colossians chapter 1. We're just going to read verses 9 through to 12. And remember, of course, this is Paul's specific prayer for the church at Colossae. So Colossians chapter 1, and we're reading verses 9 through to 12. Let's hear the Word of God. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 9, for this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now this morning, as we continue our series of expository sermons in the book of Colossians, I want us to focus our attention again in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10. And I want us to think in particular of the words in verse 10 that read as follows, being fruitful in every good work. So that's the text for today. First Colossians chapter 1, 10b. And here's the theme. It's in the text. Praying to be fruitful in every good work. Now, as we continue to study this wonderful prayer that's recorded in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 12, I want you to remember this prayer's unique. I want you to remember that this prayer is recorded by the Holy Spirit for our learning. And what have we learned so far? Remember, it's a prayer about a true spiritual principle. This prayer is full of a true spirituality. It's a prayer about the spiritual prosperity of the people of God. There's nothing wrong with praying for material things or physical things. But Paul's focus is on spiritual things. They were more important. So he focused on the spiritual needs of the people in Colossae. We discovered a wonderful ministry here. A wonderful testimony here. A a, a wonderful constancy here. From the day that he heard of their plight, the false teachers and their false teaching invading the church at Colossae, he didn't cease to pray for them. We discovered also it's a prayer about spiritual progress. And I believe that as he prayed, he had one goal for them, one aim in his mind, one overarching theme for God's people. And it was this, that they would make spiritual progress, that they would exhibit spiritual growth in their life. We also discovered it's a prayer about a true spiritual pathway. What's the first thing he prays for? Is that they might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now, we've already dealt with that in a past sermon. We thought about the importance of God's will, the interpretation, the insight, and the impact of God's will. I'm not going to repeat it. Please listen again to the sermon on the internet. Now, the second thing we discovered about this prayer is it's a prayer to walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. If you remember last week, I told you being filled with the knowledge of God's will is not an end in itself. The prayer doesn't end at verse 9, 
It's as if that's all they needed to know. Just discover the will of God in all its fullness. No, there's more. Notice the word in verse 10, that, which is a demonstrative in the English. You see, knowledge of his will is vital and important, but it's not an end in itself. It's connected to something. It leads to a true life of godliness. And the goal of the knowledge of the will of God is that we might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. You see, without a knowledge of his will. See, the, the will of God will lead us and direct us to inspire to walk in Worthy of the Lord. We thought about that last week. A simple image that's presented. We talked about its simplicity, the word walk. We talked about the start. Every walk has a beginning point. We, we talked about a spirituality because it, it's a spiritual walk, no, not a physical walk. We talked about the steps. Then we thought about the uh, spiritual instruction that's proclaimed, the word worthy, and we focused on that. It's not to earn God's favor. It has to do with suitability and, and wiseness. Then we thought about the scriptural impact that's pictured. We noticed the extent. It's unto all pleasing, not just pleasing God, but the pleasing of the saints, the pleasing of men and women all around us. Now we're looking again at this prayer. And here's the third thing. So, I, you see, I'm repeating this. And you're thinking, well, that's not really necessary. It is, because we forget so soon. I want to bring it all together. Here's the third thing that he prays for. I want you to see this prayer isn't disjointed. This prayer is perfectly connected. This prayer has been superintended by the Holy Spirit. And what does he pray? The third thing. After praying about being filled with the knowledge of his will and that they might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, here's the third thing, being fruitful in every good work. And that's what I want to focus on for the next 20 minutes or so. I want you to think of three things. First of all, the proof of being fruitful. Let me ask a serious question. Are you a fruit-bearing Christian? Is there spiritual fruit in your life? Are you bearing fruit to the glory and honor of God? You see, whenever we ask the question, some people immediately think, what on earth are you talking about? What does that mean? Are you a fruit-bearing Christian? What does a fruit-bearing Christian even look like? What on earth is a fruit-bearing Christian? You see, there's a simple answer. And the answer is this, that the true people of God produce spiritual fruit in their lives. That is, they are productive. What do they produce? Spiritual fruit unto God. And this spiritual fruit that you produce is produced by the grace of God working in and through you. It's not that you merely and spectacularly produce this fruit yourself. It's not merely that you show that you're good or show that you're religious. No, primarily, this producing of fruit by the grace of God shows that you're in Christ. It shows that you're a true born-again believer, that you're genuinely saved. Turn with me there to the um, Gospel of John. And, and look with me at John chapter 15. John chapter 15. And in John chapter 15, we read in verse 5, 
I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. You see, having spiritual fruit in your life doesn't make you a true Christian. It doesn't make you a true disciple of Christ. You only bear fruit. You only display and produce spiritual fruit because you're in Christ. Because you're abiding in Christ. Look at verse 5. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him. The same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. The Lord Jesus likens himself to a vine. He likens God's people, the true people of God, to branches. You as a Christian, you're like a branch. And the branches organically connect it to the vine. And because the branch is part of the vine, the branch brings forth fruit. And much fruit and more fruit, as we're going to see in a moment. So I asked again the question, are you a fruit-bearing Christian? And that's what I mean. Are you in Christ? Are you producing fruit by the grace and help of God? You see, if there's no fruit in your life, then there has to be a question mark over whether you are a true born-again believer. So if someone asks you, are you a fruit-bearing Christian, what do they mean is, are you saved? Are you in Christ? Are you producing fruit because you're found in Christ? True fruit-bearing is because you're found in a saving union with Christ. The branch doesn't bear fruit by itself, by its own power, by its own ability. It only produces fruit because it is in union with the vine. Think of an apple tree, boys and girls. What does an apple tree produce? Produces apples. You see apples on the branches. Why? Because the branch is a part of the tree, isn't it? You don't see an apple tree producing oranges. It's the same with a plum tree, a pear tree. The branch of the tree bears fruit and brings forth fruit. Why? Because it's connected to the tree. It's joined to the tree. And all the goodness, the sap, the energy of the tree trunk and the roots pushes up through that trunk out into the branches and then produces that fruit. So similarly, you see, in Christ, to bear fruit, to be fruitful, requires a testimony that you're saved and you're in Christ. So if someone asks you, as I'm repeating myself, if you're a fruit-bearing Christian... They're asking, are you first of all in Christ? Are you saved? Now I'm well aware, and you are too, that no individual sinner can do anything to merit or inherit God's salvation. You as a sinner can do nothing to uh, escape divine judgment or escape hell in and of yourself by your own power. The sinner can do nothing by himself that will um, merit, own, inherit the... um, pleasure and the uh, purposes of God. The Bible says that without faith it was impossible to please him, Hebrews 11 and 6. But without faith it was impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. As your warder of them that diligently seek him. You see, you need faith to please God. 
And what is faith? Forsaking all, I trust him. It's the simple act of believing in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And remember that we're all born sinners. And we're all born guilty, hell-deserving sinners. And we all need to repent and, and receive Jesus Christ freely offered in the gospel. And once a man is born again and found in saving union with Christ, he discovers that that is the only way to bear spiritual fruit. So again, I ask the question, I am pressing it home. Are you found in Christ this morning? Paul remembers praying for Christians. He's asking God that they might be fruitful unto every good work. You see, how do you know that you're a child of God? How do you know you're one of God's people? Where's the proof? Where's the evidence? And here's one of the evidences. By their fruits you shall know them. Turn over there now to Matthew chapter 7. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, and we read there in verse 15. Sermon on the Mount, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. The church at Colossae, remember, was battling false prophets, false teachers. They, they had come into them. How did they come? Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. They come pretending they were the sheep. They come pretending that they were wearing the sheep's clothing. But inwardly, the Lord Jesus said they were like ravening wolves. Now, how do you know the difference? Well, well, here's the answer. Verse 16, ye shall know them by their fruits. Isn't that interesting? He then asked, do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Well, the answer is no. Then he says, verse 17, even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. But a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Listen to verse 19. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, in light of this, that's what it means in verse 20. By their fruits ye shall know them. Do, do, do you see it? Um, can you understand that this morning? Um, a true believer found in saving union with Jesus Christ will be fruitful and he or she, by the grace of God, will produce spiritual fruit in their life. And that will be good spiritual fruit. But in order to have it, you must be in Christ. And it's a sign and proof that you're in Christ. And the effect of being found in Christ and abiding in him, you will produce fruit. And if you look at verse 8 of John 15, if you go back there, John um, 15 and, and in the verse um, 8, this is what it says Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Come down to verse 16 of John 15. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. And the word ordained there means appointed or, or set or established. You see, it's connected to God's will for your life. Fruit and having good fruit, spiritual fruit, testifies that you are a child of God. And it was the great J.C. Ryle, the first Protestant bishop of Liverpool, that said that spiritual fruit is the only satisfactory evidence that a man has been born again of the Holy Spirit. So there's the proof of being fruitful. I want you to think secondly, and quickly if we go back to Colossians, the practicality 
of being fruitful. See, I want you to think of the context. False teachers at Colossae. They're attempting to attract people through the offer of a spiritual knowledge or a special knowledge. We have got special wisdom. Come to us and we'll share it with you. We we have got spiritual understanding. Once you join our group, we will impart that to you. That's what they were saying. However, and this is important, one of the things that they didn't do They didn't relate this so-called special knowledge, this special wisdom, this special understanding. They didn't relate it to the stuff of life. It's not connected to practical Christian living. I've told you often, I repeat it again this morning, true Bible-believing Christianity is highly practical. And remember, in the Christian life, the true spiritual knowledge, the knowledge of God, the knowledge of Christ, the knowledge of the Bible, and obedience to the will of God go together. There can be no separation between learning and living and loving God. You see, it's not just a head knowledge. It's not having your mind full of wisdom and understanding. It has to be highly practical. It's not theoretical. It is practical. It affects your daily living. It affects your lifestyle on a day-to-day basis. Can you see how practical Bible-believing Christianity is? Folks, it's not a theory. It's not pie-in-the-sky theological stuff. It impacts upon our life to such an extent that it produces something in our lives. It produces fruit in our lives. You see, I have known people, and they have delved into the great study of the Bible. They want to study the deeper truths of the Scriptures. Big words like propitiation and justification, sanctification. That's wonderful. That's great. I've known men to buy books and sit at home and read them and study them. Get a set of tapes and listen to some powerful preacher preach the Word of God that filled your soul. But you know, they've got so knowledgeable, they've got so smart, boys and girls have become dumb. Now, what do I mean they've become dumb? You see, they become proud of what they know. And they think, oh, well, I, I know more than the preacher. And, and, and I'm smarter than that teacher, that theologian. And they start quoting. And they start telling you things. And what's their motivation? Their motivation is, is a promotion of their self. Promotion, pr- motivation has to do with how proud they've become. And sadly, these great truths that they've learned, while they're true and great, it has no impact on their daily living. It hasn't made them a better father. Some men, sadly, have been so smart that they've been heaved silly in their home that they've beat up their wives, put them in hospital, professing to be Christians. You see, that can't be right. Because if my Christianity doesn't make me a better husband, a better father, a better son, a better daughter, a better worker, then these truths that I profess, we have detached them from practical living. And instead of having a burning heart, Warren Wearsby said, They've just got a big head. And how many big-headed Christians are there in Northern Ireland? And they're full of all the truths of the Bible, orthodox to the core. And I would say amen to that orthodoxy. But it doesn't impact on their practical living. And then the problems start. At home, church, and work. And we've all experienced it. You see, all biblical truth is highly practical. 
listen to what the apostle Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3 and in the verse 10. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. Listen to these words. This is what he says. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Verse 11, let him ensue evil and do good. Let him seek peace and see it for the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. If you think back to Paul's prayer, notice the order. What's the first thing he prayed for? That they might do the will of God in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And doing the will of God will lead to a worthy walk before God unto all pleasing. That individual who's doing the will of God will become a walker for God. And then that person who's walking with God, then the good works for God will follow. Those good works will not be the ground or evidence of salvation, or the ground of salvation. They'll merely be the fruit or the evidence of salvation. You see, you can't perform and do good works unless you're walking with God and fellowship with him. Can two walk together except they be agreed? And you can't walk with God and ignore God's will. And you, and you can't work for God if you're not walking with him. And the chief goal in life has to please the Lord first and foremost, not to please self or please other men, but the outworking that goal of doing the will of God and walking with him is that you become fruitful in every good work. In other words, the Lord works in and through you produce this spiritual fruit. So I want you to see the practicality of being fruitful. I want you to think of something else, and with this we'll close today. The peculiarity of being fruitful. You see, let's identify what the fruit is in the life of the one who's born again of the Spirit of God. What does it look like? How could you identify it when you see it and say, well, that's spiritual fruit? Others can see it and say, that's spiritual fruit. If we agree there's an abundance of a fruitful life in Christ, then what does it look like? Let me just give you the references. Turn over there to Romans chapter 6 and verse 22. Here's the first one. The fruit of holiness. Paul says, Romans 6 and 22, But now being made free from sin and become servants of God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. There's no substitute for a holy life. Those in Christ will aspire and purposely desire to live a holy life unto God. The Bible says, follow peace with all men, Hebrews 12 and 14. And holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. You see, those in Christ should aspire after a life of holiness unto the Lord. That's God's will for us. And therefore, we take that seriously in our heart and mind. Remember exactly what the Apostle Peter says in uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 15 and 16. Listen to the word of God. This is God's will for you, God's will for me. He said, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. See again how practical it is. Our talk and our walks governed there. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. And there should be a burning desire to some degree, not, not perfectly, because we'll never be perfectly holy this side of turning, but purposefully. 
We're, we're, we're striving. We have a burning desire to some degree to be conformed to the image of God so that our life is regulated by the word of God. So we take all of God's commands seriously. When he commands us to love him with all our heart, soul, and mind and strength, that's what we want to do. When he commands us to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, that's what we want to do. When he commands the young people to remember their creator in the days of their youth, that's what they should want to do. When he tells the young people to honor their father and mother, that their days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God hath given them, that's what they want to do. If he calls upon the young people, let no filthy communication or corrupt communication come out of your mouth, then we're going to be careful about our words. Because remember, words have a powerful effect. And the Bible says a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. Proverbs 22, 25 and verse 11. And it's important that we understand that. Uh, So I'm connecting it to, to what I said to the young people. The fruit of holiness. Here's another fruit. The fruit of praise. Go go to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. Let's hear the word of God. It says, by him, that's Jesus Christ, therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Isn't that tremendous? We're filled with a spirit of thankfulness for every material and temporal, but also spiritual blessings. The Bible says, be thankful unto him and bless his name. See, that's the will of God. This is the will of God for God's people, that we were thankful, a true spirit of thankfulness. And, and then we listen to our conversation, what we say, what, we, what comes out of our mouth. Are we guilty of cursing? Foul language, taking the Lord's name in vain? Are we guilty of lying? Are we guilty of saying nasty things about and to other people? Are we guilty of cutting them off? See, all of these things come under that, the fruit of our lips, the fruit of praise. Our lips should be praising God. The mouth should be used to praise God, not to pour vile or say nasty things to other people, whether at home, school, or work. We're to be different. Our speech is not the same as those who are without Christ. Our speech is to be seasoned with salt. Our speech is to be different. People need to see it and and, and sense it. This person's different at work, at home, at school. What about the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians chapter 5. We'll just read it. Galatians 5 verse 22. Listen to the word of God again. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, Goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affection and lusts. Nine parts to one fruit. If we're born of the Spirit and indwelt by the Spirit, we'll be led by the Spirit. And if we're led by the Spirit, then this fruit will be seen. And I can't delve into this, a whole series of messages here. But in other words, the fruit of the Spirit will change our life. It'll govern our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. Why? Because the nine parts to this one fruit will be seen. Also turn over to Romans chapter 1, verse 13. What about the fruit of soul winning? Romans 1 and verse 13. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said about the church there in Rome. He said this. Now, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I proposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. Here's another fruit. 
That's evident in the life. We can identify it. The fruit of soul winning. Having a love and passion for souls. I could ask this morning, are we the first link to reach out to a soul? Are we the last link to reach out to a soul? Or are we the missing link? Remember, Lot had no testimony even to his family. He appeared to them as one that mocked. Why? Because he wasn't living right to please the Lord. And I have to ask the question, have we a concern for the eternal state of the souls of men and women? Have we a concern for the the salvation of boys and girls? Do we long and labor? Do we do all that we can that we might win them to Christ? Have we a desire to to bring our souls and our family and uh, and our friends under the sound of the gospel? And maybe you'll say, but they won't come to church. Well, tell them of the church website and introduce it to them. Try and get them to listen. Because you see, here's a very important part of the um, spiritual fruit that the Spirit produces in our lives. Here's an activity that we all can engage in. Allowing the Lord to use you to be a link in the chain. The fruit of soul winning. What about the fruit of giving? There's another reference there in Romans chapter 15. I think it's in verse 28. Romans 15 and verse 8. This is what the Apostle Paul says. Romans 15 verse 28. When therefore I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. The fruit of giving. The gifts of God's people to the work of God. The tithes and offerings. You see, it's a willing offering. It's a voluntary offering. It's it's a cheerful offering. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. It's given unto the Lord. Only the Lord sits at the Lord's treasury. I have no right to inquire what anyone puts into the Lord's treasury, and I don't. You and I are accountable each to the Lord. And he knows our heart. I think of C.T. Studd and his generosity, a millionaire, and he gave it all away. He didn't want it sitting in the bank. He he wanted to lay up treasure in heaven. And and he used his wealth for the good of the work of God. That's the fruit of giving. Romans 15, verse 28. Now we'll finish. What about the fruit of good works? Being fruitful unto every good work. Here's a pattern for your life. What is a good work? Who defines that work? Well, the answer is God does. And he does by his authority. It's not the church that sets what a good work is. It's not the traditions of men. It's not the civil authority. It's not the judge in the court. The good work is effected by the grace of God. And he determines, having created good works, that we should walk in them. So the Lord gets the glory. Turn over there to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. Ephesians 2 and verse 10. Remember what the Apostle Paul says there. Ephesians 2 and 10. And this is what he says. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained. There's the word again, ordained, that we should walk in them. Now remember we're not working for our salvation. We're not working to earn or merit salvation. These good works are not the ground of salvation. They're the fruit, they're the evidence of it. But they have an important place in the life of a child of God. Good works are important. Good works are necessary. And you know this morning, 
myself included, we need to examine ourselves and ask this question. Am I in Christ? Has it led me to practically live out the gospel in the home, the school, the workplace? In these specific areas, am I being fruitful? Fruitful in holiness? Fruitful in praise? Fruitful because the Spirit's produced this fruit? Fruitful in soul winning? Fruitful in giving? Fruitful unto every good work that God has ordained? There's a story told about a a man who wanted to be a high jumper. A high jumper, boys and girls and young people, is someone who runs along a track and jumps over a very high bar that's set between two poles. And the bar's lifted up to see how high he can jump. And then he goes into a a mat or a sand pit. And this man thought he could be a high jumper and he run along. And what did he do? The first time he tried, he, 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 he run into the bar. And the second time he tried, he did the same. And the man kept lowering the bar and lowering the bar. And every time he ran and took a jump, he was hitting the bar. Until the man who was trying to coach him got fed up and took the bar away altogether. And said, now just run down and take a jump and jump into the sand pit. The bar was set at the lowest level. I wonder, is that a picture of us in relation to good works? Because I finish with this. We're called to do good to all men, especially there who are the household of faith. And your mindset should be this. If God has created good works and ordained that I should walk in them, I'll then use every opportunity to do a good work. So so I'll help the pastor and encourage him, I'll be faithful in attendance and do all that I can to support the work of God. I'll help my church. I want to see it grow, souls to be saved and new families brought in. I'll help my brother and sister in any way that I can. I'll never harm them. I'll not want to hinder them. I'll not deliberately hurt them by my life or my lip, by my example. I'll not deny God. I'll not disobey him. I'll not disrespect my heavenly father because he has created these good works and these good works I'm to be fruitful in. That's the mindset. And that's the bar. I wonder what we're aiming at. Here's the peculiarity of being fruitful. I leave this little message with you. I could have skipped over. Many preachers did. They only mentioned the sentence. But I didn't want to. I want to break up the prayer. I got a book at Christmas time. The lady knows who it is that's listening, who gave me the book. It's called Pray Big. And I was so blessed in the soul when I read the book, discovering it was Paul's prayer in Ephesians. It wasn't Colossians. But it has a correlation. It has a connection. Pray big. Here's a big prayer. You can pray, Lord, make me fruitful in every good work. The Lord bless you this morning. Thank you for coming. Thank you for listening.